0: Hey everyone, this is Lynn Barton, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at su.edu slash Apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Okay. Well, welcome. Here you are with the Apex Hour. This is Thursday. It's 3 p.m. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. And we have just been having a beautiful sense of inspiration today. And I couldn't be happier that I have my guest here in the studio. Uh, Zainab Salvi. Welcome to KSUU and welcome to the radio show.
1: Thank you. What a pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. <laughs> We have been following your work here on campus for some time now, and we so enjoyed your talk this morning. And I just have to share with our listeners just this beautiful moment that we had walking in. We were stopped by a young man who's from the Congo, who is studying here for just three months and was particularly taken by your talk. But I'm sure things like that happen to you all the time.
1: Sometimes, yes.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the things I'd like to start by talking about on the show is is we we just can sort of freeform and do a lot of different things. Um, you were just speaking about the importance of a value-driven lifestyle, and you talked about it this morning. And we were just talking about it when we were talking about your gift. And can you talk a little bit to our listeners about that and what that means to you and um, how you feel about it? Well,
1: I mean, what I mean is you know, as an activist and a women's rights uh, person and all of these things, I always used to like preach about values, you know, people should do this and that and all of these things. And it's like what I call self-righteous values. And I thought of myself as this wonderful person, and I'm like, right, and they're wrong and all of these things. Until I actually came to realize that Really, I need to look into myself and say, am I consistent between what I'm speaking and what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy, for example, to speak about women's rights, you know, and freedom and all of these things and my right. But then in the meantime, here I am buying clothes without asking who made it. Did you treat the person who made it well? Was Were they in a dungeon in some place, in a dark place, or were they actually paid livable wages, not only minimum wages, livable wages in good working conditions, for example? That's just an example. And I realized, no, I lived a, lifeline, a lifetime talking about women's rights and demonstrating all of that, but I actually was buying clothes for that's just a simple example right so buying clothes without consciousness about it and so i and this is my inconsistencies i think all of us have this inconsistencies within our lives we Mm -hmm. preach something but we don't ask ourselves are we really really doing what we're preaching Mm -hmm. right so if you're against for example you know um prejudice are you being prejudiced against someone who's not agreeing with your values yourselves you know it's like so constantly so i returned the question i embarked upon myself about my upon my life trying to change the world and travel the world and traveled conflict areas from congo to afghanistan and iraq and rwanda and all of that only to realize I need to change myself as well. Mm -hmm. That changing the world entails me really changing the world, not going and talking about it. And that, so now what I call about value-driven lifestyle, it means... I really go when I mean I love clothes. So when I go shopping I ask the person who's selling, it's like can you tell me if they um if how the person who, who made it got paid or did, how, what's your ethical values? What your environmental practice. Most of the times people don't understand what I'm talking about. And I was like, what well, can you call your manager? And then I like I make a point and usually if I feel like then if the if the if the corporations know we're asking, they will adjust to us. Yes. You know, we feel that we're victims of all these other people who make decisions. I'm saying we own it. We take control of our own power and we make changes in our lives. And whether it's governments or whether it's corporations or whether the big bosses or whatever it is, they will actually adjust because they want our, our business and yeah. they want our voice. So, so instead of wanting to change the world, change yourself and the world shall change around you.
0: I love that. And even with just the fashion thing, I mean, you just start asking questions. I really do. That's the way to go. Because I'm thinking... I, you know, as this, st- I mean, I love fashion. Me too, I really do. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, how can I, how can I implement this a little bit, you know? And if it, if it's that, maybe, well, I can ask questions. I mean,
1: anybody can ask questions. Absolutely. And then I start researching, right? And so, so well, what are the fashion uh, designs that are actually are more environmentally conscious? No, it is impossible that any brand that is 100% ethical, but there are brands who are trying. Mm-hmm. And when they see that there is a positive. F- feedback from the customers they actually it gives them even more right. incentives and it brings other brands in it you know so now i have like this whole genre of brands that i have to research and and i have stores in where i am and i know that this store actually has really good values and this store I have to, and then sometimes i It's not a 100% process, by the way, but now before I just jump and buy, I really ask myself, I really, really, really do ask, like, is this a loving thing to do? I know I really want this shirt, but can I live without it if it's not ethical? Yeah. You know, can I get away with it? Is that just an accessory that I really want out of my own greed in this moment? Or do I need to, or the discipline of saying, no, I really want something ethical. And that questioning of myself, mm-hmm. uh, it, it made me actually become more minimalistic, more aware of how I spend my money, more, you know, uh, more um, very conscious, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it actually became much better for me financially as well, you know, because now I ask myself, do I really really need to do that or not
0: you talked in your talk today about a, a lot about that about the asking yourself is this something done out of love or or does it produce that that love and all the the compassion and and so you really let that exp- go into all areas of your life and it and it has sort of brought about a, a at least materially a little bit more of that minimalist outlook it seems
1: It has. I mean, if I started my life thinking that, you know, dividing the world, they are good. I mean, they're bad. I'm good. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, this culture is oppressive culture. This culture is free culture. This culture is that, that culture is like I divided the world into good and bad, Mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, then I realized over time that the people who I thought of as good, let's say my community or some, you know, enlightened group of people, Actually, they hurt me as well. Mm-hmm. And there were bad things there as well. And it devastated me because it's like, because I idealized. You mm-hmm. I idealized this committee as perfect and this committee as imperfect. This person is perfect and this person is bad, right? And then I realized over time that the good, the bad, and the ugly is actually everywhere. It, like that is a very simplistic division of the world as good and bad or of, of my reality of people. And more importantly, which is which the good, the bad and the ugly is in myself. Mm. And I moved from being judgmental of others to actually questioning myself. And that questioning made me more compassionate person of the others that I don't agree with, actually, you know, it's right. like, oh, it's not easy to implement these values. And it made me more patient in engaging in dialogue and in, in ways that I no longer label people as, you know, racist or bigots or sexist or whatever. I I really don't. You know, mm-hmm. like now I was like, what is the reason behind your behavior and explaining to them how it makes me feel rather than labeling them, because that doesn't doesn't result in anything. You know, yeah. it, it result in in dividing us rather than bridging us. Yeah. And so it's a, just a shift of mindset where. I needed to own my actions and and actions first, see the good and the bad and the ugly in me. And that helped me see the good and the bad and the ugly in the complexities of other people around me Mm -hmm. and our own humanity and our own earth. But that made me believing much more that we actually can Mm -hmm. have dialogues and build bridges of communication between us. It's no longer a theoretical discussion. It's now a very real one for Mm -hmm. me. In that
0: we touched on this a little bit at lunch. You you talked about that uh, realization and that understanding of. What you may have perceived before as bad. And we sort of talked in, uh, in fact, Court, who works with Apex, was talking about activism. And I know that, um, in, 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 in fact, in your new book, I, I ran across the part where you, you recognize yourself as an activist and you have been recognized as an activist. How do you feel about that? term? Is that term still something that you connect with? Or now that you've sort of gone through this transformation, as you mentioned, to sort of understand the complexities of it more, do you prefer not to use activism, but more humanitarians? I mean, does it
1: have a different meaning for you now? What do you think? So I'm not into labels. I, You know, I sort of, I really don't care about them. I actually, so I, I, I I call myself an activist. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me at all. I, but my activism changed. Mm. And my call out for activists is to also reflect on what's the meaning of activism. Mm. If it's 2.0 or 3.0, I don't know if we are in the 4.0 generation. I don't know. But but the point is before, as a for example, before I used to implement my activism by demonstrating and carrying my bullhorn and, and chanting slogans and all of these things. Now, I still joined demonstrations, you know, just for the records, you know, if, yeah. if needed. So, I don't stop that, but it it came out of a self-righteous and self-anger aspect of me, like I am right and you are wrong and I'm demonstrating against you. And when I started implementing these issues, like asking myself, am I part of this? I'm, you know, and I'll give you an example about that. For example, I always preach forgiveness. And those who did not believe in forgiveness, I always thought, like, what backward people they are, what horrible people they are. They don't believe in forgiveness. And I would like, so I thought of myself as such a good person because I believe in forgiveness and they are such bad people because they don't feel, really believe in forgiveness until to be very, very honest, I mean, it's a very simple thing. A boyfriend broke my heart and I just couldn't forgive him. And, you know, I just like, I was hurt. I really was hurt and I just was more angry at him than forgiveness was the last thing on my mind. And then I like, I was like, I can't, then I realized, oh, I'm talking about the value that I don't even know how to implement in my life. I've been giving speeches about forgiveness, but I've never forgiven anybody in my life. (laughs) And then I had to ask myself, well, I need to learn the meaning of forgiveness in my heart. And I had to ask myself, have I betrayed myself? And I understood the part of me that has betrayed me Mm -hmm. and actually understand what is it coming from? It came from a very insecure place in me, you know, wanting to be loved. So I felt bad for her and thus forgave her Yeah, and then I could forgive him so easily right now, like I forgave him a long time ago but now when I talk about political forgiveness between right and left black and white, Hutu and Tutsi this ethnic group and that ethnic group I actually really, for me it's a, it's a meaningful one in my body, so I call my activism now is coming out of the core of my spine rather than the, the wideness of my chest, mm. it's no longer the Slogans is much more the humbleness of, oh, I really understand how hard it is to forgive, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. And I really came to believe that we can forgive even when not asked for forgiveness.
0: That's beautiful. I I just love that. I love that your, as you say, your call to activism has taken that transformation and, and how you're recognizing it and putting it out there. So, well, in this show, you know, I'm I'm in love with world music. And so it's time for our first musical break. Um, all day, we've been listening to this great um, uh, playlist on Spotify called Woman's World. Uh, There's six degrees of global women in music. So it's a great playlist. And what drew it to me is that one of my favorite Brazilian uh, female artist is on there, Say You, and we're going to listen to a song of hers called Coma Di. Um, this is the Apex Hour, KSUU, Thunder 91.1. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Apex Hour, KSU Thunder 91.1. We are here in the studio with Zainab Salvi. Welcome back. Thank you. Great to be back. <laughs> Yay. Um, the next thing that I'd love to get into is your writing. Um, we've been celebrating your newest book, which is Freedom is an Inside Job. And we were so lucky to get some uh advanced copies the official release date is I think next week right yes,
1: October 2nd
0: October 2nd we love October <laughs> October 2nd and so um I've already dug into it we just received it maybe 48 hours ago and I've just been enjoying it so much Thank and you. um and and I really would encourage everyone listening to get it again it's called freedom is an inside job uh, before we get into the specifics of the this book I'd love you to tell me a little little bit about your writing process. Uh, if you don't mind, I know a lot of our students listen and we have a lot of aspiring writers. What is that process like for you? Um, you know, just maybe walk me through it a little bit.
1: Well, it has uh, three phases, I would say. So the first phase is just me writing. <laughs> and and then- that's the first phase. Well, yeah, that means like, I mean, I'm not talking about my life experience, but I'm just like, just honestly, sometimes I close my eyes and I open the computer and I just type what I really want to say. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's like so just cool. a pouring of em- thoughts and emotions and whatever it is, just like without inhibition, just writing, right? I and love I have it. some good music on, always helps me to have music. It inspires me. It lifts me up. It triggers the emotions. And so then that's, that's phase one. Okay. It's like, it's just dumping, mm-hmm. you know, of everything out there. And the second phase is then I look at that um. and then I was like, Okay, let's see what I can keep, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what goes in here, what it doesn't go in here, and I start working on organizing it basically. Okay. So, but that's how I work. Twer- I'm a chaotic person, and I don't like structure. So that's for me works for me. Yeah. Some people like to start with structure first. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and now I'm not saying I don't have structure. Of I want to say I want to say this point. Mm-hmm. But to get me to this point, I actually just let myself free-flowing experience. Mm -hmm. And from there, because I don't want to be inhibited and get stuck in the structure, Mm -hmm. so I say I want to make point x i let myself express anything i want and then i started looking i was like okay this goes in this section this goes in this section this point goes in this section and so that's the next phase when it starts taking a more organized shape Mm -hmm. in in a way you know but it's not that i'm saying that there's no organized shape at the beginning it's just I let myself lose and not be restricted. It's very organic. Yeah, very I organic. Mean, that's yeah. beautiful. And from the organic, I then start mm-hmm. organizing it and becoming more disciplined about it. And the third process is even polishing it more, but, you know, which is, you know, making the point clearer, you know, honing it down, giving more examples, all of these things. But the, what I discover is that I need to have space between them. Oh. So I can't do it all. Like, let's say in each phase, I do it. I need to leave. Mm-hmm. I need to leave and go and do something else. Sometimes it's about... Just going and exercising for an hour. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's reading a book, cooking, whatever it is, and then coming back to it. And the, but it's always I need a break in between. Sometimes I give myself few days of break just oh. so I can look at something else and then come back to it. You know, so that um, that impacts you. The most important thing I think that is weird, but it's real for me is when I'm writing, I can't hear other people's voice. You know, I actually really go into an isolated phase in which I just stay at my place and I'm just in and in myself. And I can stay like days alone.
2: Wow. You know,
1: just and I like I can't sometimes people want to talk with me over the phone for something else. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm just in this very inner process that I just cannot, you know, in all my books, yeah. You know, I would like lock myself in, in my room and not lock myself, but I mean, like hide there yeah. and just isolate myself from the world. And I'm just going inward completely yeah. before then I can come outward out of it. Ah. give myself break, then go back into the inward process. And, and, and that break helps me develop. The, what I'm trying to articulate even better.
0: That's amazing. And are you also a journalist, a, a, a journal writer, like a diary writer? I mean, is that something that you do? In, uh, you do this when you're writing for your books and larger projects, but do, do you also do it on a regular basis for in just normal day-to-day work as well? Do you do that stream of conscious writing or is that mostly reserved for the book writing process for you?
1: I used to do the stream of conscious uh, writing on a regular basis. Now I do it only when I feel like it. Because oh. not every day I have some consciousness. Some days I'm just numb. Like yeah. my day is just like, I mean, like there's some my days where my brain is like, zzz, yeah. zzz, like there's nothing going on. I know that on, feeling you know? very well. <laughs> so there's nothing to write about in such <laughs> days, you know. So I let myself until I'm ready to write. And then I do. I yeah. just write it and let it and, and, um, and, and, and I learned that I actually store everything, um, and that's, that's what's creativity. I mean, like, I never thought of myself as a poet, for example, ever. And I happened to know Alice Walker, which just like, she's the poet. I'm not, not, absolutely not. And then one day I was just literally meditating and just painting and just like, like not even, I never, I never even aspire to be a poet, right? But I was just meditating and being and, and painting and suddenly Line started going in my head. Wow! And I just started writing it, and then I called Alice, and I was like, I- "I'm I'm shy to tell you this, but like, is this poetry? Is that okay?" And she's like, "Yes, keep going." So if you tell me to write a poet now, I cannot. But sometimes I'm playing, I'm doing something fun, and phew, it comes. So I know I'm big believer that we need, if you for any creative person, whether you are a writer, a musician, an art, any artist. Uh, The the free-flowing, the creativity, the juiciness, they're not being stuck that I have to deliver that. Mm -hmm. Actually, the playfulness, the rest, all of that, living life Mm -hmm. is part of the sadness. Mm -hmm. Oh, it it brings a lot of creativity. So now, like... I need these things, especially sadness. It's funny. It's like when I'm like, there's happy phases or I'm just happy. I was like, oh, I really need some sadness here. There's not creativity in here. (laughs) So it's like, you know, you let yourself feel all of it in order for that juicy stuff to come out. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that you mentioned in in that,
0: in when you were talking just now meditating and I'd love to get into, I I, want to get back to the book, but I'd love to get into a little bit about that, Uh, I I think that meditation is important in your life. I think I've heard in maybe another interview where you spoke about meditation and daily ritual and and maybe even yoga or these kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about that that inward work and, and
1: how that works for you and uh, all that. Well, I, I do do all of these things. But I also, as I said, I'm like not a, a routine kind of person. So mm. I do them and I drop them and I do them and I drop them. And I learned the following yeah. Oh, what I can tell you is that I used to create spaces for what I call self care. Uh-huh. So however you self care. So sometimes there are years in which my self care is an hour at the gym, uh-huh. Right, and sometimes my year of self-care is yoga and meditation. Oh, okay. So I change the the, the patterns mm-hmm. basically, but there must be a Zena time, right, every day that is mine, and no one can take it away from me, because this is what the biggest thing I learned in the process of writing Freedom is an inside job that I am the cake of my happiness. No one can give it to me and no one can take it away from me. People in my life are the cream. There's chocolate cream, there's vanilla, there's strawberry. They make myself indeed happier (laughs) or more delicious cake. Yeah. Yeah and they can if they go it's less delicious cake but the cake is me oh, you know I it's love like it changed my own perception but there so has to be a cake time every day you know which is only me and that rotated so yeah, i used to take retreats and now i take I used to take classes and sometimes i don't so i learned that as long as i have this i allow myself time to think and do nothing And that nothingness, which is meditation, basically, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, could come in any shape, way or form. However, whatever your hobby is, if you're painting for four hours, that is the nothing, like you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I live in New York, so there's a lot of transportation involved in the car or in the bus or in the subway. I don't check my phone anymore. I allow for the nothing. Because I came to the conclusion the people I admire the most in my life, whether it's Nelson, Mandela, or Gandhi, there is a huge period of their lives where they did nothing. Yeah. I mean, think of it, Mandela, 25 20, 27 years in prison of nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No no accomplishments, you know. Uh, Gandhi used to spin cotton for six hours a day. That was his meditation.
2: Oh. Nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: It's where you allow your brain to not think, and to rest. And whether it is breathing in and out in a car ride or whether it is doing nothing you know mm-hmm. <laughs> for whatever hours i no longer judge myself because we're living in a very judgmental society how much you accomplish what have you done how even if you sleep eight hours you're judged actually that's like oh i sleep only six hours you know it's like you know i was like i tell you i need nine hours of sleep in mm-hmm. here to really be happy you know so there's like we're always competing it's like i accomplished this and the truth is you don't yeah. You don't like so I I give permission for myself to do what I really need to That's do and not judge myself. Am I doing accomplishing? That? At the end of the day, I realize I'm still doing. It's just the pattern of it is not what the society tells me to do. It I'm just doing it. I'm accomplished. Uh, probably for you, you'd probably see me as an accomplished person. I don't know. Definitely, you know. Well, in my sometimes I have days in which I'm just hiking, and doing. Nothing. It doesn't stop me for accomplishing a lot of things. I find that to be so refreshing.
0: I I definitely find that to be true with myself and it's so great to hear that in somebody in somebody else, especially in today's world where as you said it's all about accomplishing how much have we accomplish blah 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 all these kinds of things, but I I sort of nicknamed it my staring at the walls time, you know, whatever that means. It could be actually staring at the walls or it could be many other things, but I sort of need that. I think, you know, like, like you, I, I think people tend to, tend to see me as like, oh, going all the time, but it's really not that. And so to hear you also validate that, not only just for me, but for our listeners too, I think that that's really special. That's where
1: creativity, that's where magic happens. And it doesn't have to be you, whether you're an author, whatever, even if you're studying business or math, that's every, every person out there who've done something in the world they allow that playful time exactly and the rest time and that's where magic does happen I love that.
0: Well, it's time for another song. We're going to dig into this playlist a little bit more. Um, Let's see. We're going to take a listen to a song called Spring Arrives. And the artist is Azam Ali. And again, this is from that Women's World playlist. And you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU Thunder 91.1. Well, welcome back to the Apex Hour. Um, we were talking here with Zainab Salvi about her new book, Freedom is an Inside Job. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about the book. I think we've sort of been talking the topics of the book. But if you wanted to go into a little bit more detail, um, I know it's the, the week before it's coming out. And so hopefully we'll inspire some people to check it out. But tell us a little bit more about what this particular book is about.
1: Well, you know what? It started with me meeting a woman in Congo. Ah. And she said, I, she told me about the horrible story she's gone through, ma- gang raped of her and her daughters. And at one point she looked at me and she said, I never told anybody but you my story. Wow. So I tell her, I was like, so look, I'm a storyteller. Should I, I which I tell other women's stories? Should I keep yours a secret? So she looks at me and she said, if I can tell my whole story to the entire world, I would. So other women would not have to go through what I have gone through. Uh But I can't. You can. You go ahead and tell the story. Now, that really was the most humbling moment in my life because I realized I've been claiming I'm a women's rights activist talking about other women and like we talk about her stories easily, but I really never owned what she's t- trying to say, which is a connection between an individual story and the collective story.
3: Right. That if I
1: break my silence, maybe other women would be spared from the pain I went through. And I realize, even though I'm the humanitarian who is helping her and she's the poor woman I'm helping, she actually has much more courage and consciousness than I did. And I was hiding behind the victim story, the other women's stories. I see. So I realize I actually no longer can talk about being women's rise or valuing these values if I actually don't on my own voice. So I started with telling my own story and breaking with my, my own silence about issues that happened in my life, you know, from whatever I, my memoir, yeah. knowing Saddam Hussein, being raped, yeah. all of these things. And as I start telling the story, you know, it's sort of it felt like there was a dark uh, stone in my chest of anxiety. Wow. When I spoke my truth, it sort of dissolved and it became a crystal. So I was like, oh, this feels great. This telling the truth feels really good. <laughs> and I actually was like, the, I, I was keeping myself in my fear. I was the fear and I was the prison guard that keeps it mm-hmm. as well. So then I was like, oh, so where am I not in truth in my life? So I started looking at my relationships. And I was like, and I vet through them. This is, I'm truthful in here. This is no longer in my truth. Mm. I sat looking at my work and saying, am I in truth in my life? And then I start looking into my own back history, like my own behavior towards other people and saying, am I in truth in my life? And so it's like, it became an inward journey. And every time I go about it, it be, it's hard. I struggle, I care, I, like, I cry. I was like, I'm like working on myself. But then I come out freer, happier, stronger. So my line became like the taste of freedom and the journey of freedom is actually hard. But the taste of freedom is so delicious Mm -hmm. that it is actually worth going through that hard hard journey. Mm -hmm. And so then I kept on looking in myself and and myself is an activist and Mm -hmm. myself is someone who travels around the world to help and care about women's rights all over the world and then it's like sort of it became and from an outward value to an inward value to then an outward value so now i do talk about forgiveness and beauty and you know success but it, it these notions got redefined in the process you know mm-hmm. from an inward journey and then outward so that's what i'm that's what the book is about is that if we really want to live if you whoever you are want to really be happy and see happiness and see a world in peace then find the peace inside you yeah. if you really want a fair have a fair and just world and make sure that you are living a just and fair life inside you you is this is a relationship between you and you you know mm-hmm. and then you and the front the relationships right in front of you right so it's like it moved from this mega concept to a very personal concept and then now I still work in the world yeah but my my views and my values and my my engagement with people who I don't agree with whatever has become much more compassionate and much different but it's different. So I like one of the stories I thought I used to think I'm ugly. And then I tried to like put the makeup and the clothes and all to height. And then the only way I could actually understand that I was beautiful was through a very simple exercise, meditation exercise that a woman showed me to meditate in front of my bathroom mirror. Like it's like no exotic places or exotic clothes. Yeah, to. I was finally I realized, oh, I'm done beautiful but it took like decades of my life to realize i'm beautiful and it's not some retreat it's my bathroom mirror that helped me do wow. that and i talk about these things in the book i see that's i can't i can't wait to read the rest <laughs> of it i was only able to get
0: you know a partial way through it but when you started to do this process and realize that you wanted to do this process, uh, start this, this, this journey of, of questioning or redefining. I mean, how did you deal with the, the fear of what you might come up against? Of Cause course, I mean, that's, yeah. I would say they think that for many people would, fight that and not be strong enough to sort of say, I'm not ready to really look at what I'm doing wrong in order to see the good. You know, I mean, because you almost have to do yeah, that, right? You're yeah. saying you kind of have to acknowledge your own either hypocrisy or this or complicit or whatever behavior yeah. in order to then find
1: this deeper happiness. How did you deal with, I mean, was it scary? So it's, it is scary, but here's the thing. If you don't deal with it, it comes and haunts you anyway, (laughs) you know, to quote Wilma Mankiller and an indigenous woman who said like, it's like you have a dark horse and a light horse and the courage of your life. If you only put the leash on the light horse, you know, the good horse that is, you know, it's not that the dark horse is not there the dark horse is still in the in the carriage It's still leading. It's just you don't have control over it. So it's constantly like, "Eh," you know, and it takes a turn. And it's like, Oh, my God, did my anger just show up. Oh, my God, did my jealousy just show up? Oh, my insecurity just and then you just dump it because you're too embarrassed. And it's too hard to look at it. So you just dump it and cover it up. And you're like, la 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 just to like, you know, uh, avoid it. Yeah. I'm saying change the process because it's going to hijack you constantly if you're not going to take control over it. So yes, putting the leash on the dark horse is a hard process because the dark horse is disobedient and has insecurity all that. While, but so and then you have to actually acknowledge that there is a dark horse in your carriage also. That's really hard, but. It changes your life. It's basically now you have the leash on both your dark horse and your, you know, light horse. And then the dark, you're in control of your darkness. So it's not like there's no darkness. in. it's not that I'm impatient, let's say, or have anger issue or whatever. It's, I do. It's now I'm like, Oh, here it is coming again. Mm. Okay. Sorry. And no, others can no longer manipulate me or hijack me because they use this, my own insecurity against me. Mm. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So what I'm saying is you have a choice.
0: Yeah,
1: You can preemptively do it, do the work, and get a, a charge of your own life, the good part and the bad part. Because you'll understand the bad part is not bad. You actually just need to learn how to control it and and work with it, right? Yeah. It's, but it's not... Like, unless if it's unless if you you want to kill people, that's different, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) that you have to really I don't know, you should do something. But like but like all of us have bad characters in us. So it's like it's but these sometimes it's helpful. Yeah. You know, if you're in charge of it. Yeah. It's not helpful when it's in charge of you. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do it because it's too hard, it's going to haunt you. If it's not in your 20s, then in your 30s, it's not in your 30s, then in your 40s. If not in your 40s, then in your 70s. And you will still deal with it. And I have seen enough people in my life that they're still dealing with it in their 80s because they couldn't deal with it in their 20s. So I'm just saying be proactive. Go and do the work. It is actually worth it. It will help all your relationships and your career and your life. And don't shy away from looking at fear in the eyes. When you look at fear, whatever you're afraid of, when you look at it in the eyes, you will see you can go out in the other direction. I love it. Where did you say that that dark horse, white light horse came from? Wilma Mankiller is oh. an indigenous woman who died a few years ago. I don't know which tribe she's from, actually, but that's where the, I borrowed the concept from.
0: That's a beautiful concept I hadn't heard before, yeah. and I I love it. I yeah. love the imagery. I love how, what it represents. That's amazing. Another thing along these lines that you had said I, that I had heard somewhere, was, uh, which I really like, that you had said by acknowledging some of the that darker side, then you can actually use that as a help to somebody else, because then you can you can recognize those things in other people and say, yes, I understand that I, I, I've i experienced that. And so it, it actually helps you get more compassionate in other ways.
1: Well, so if we live in a society where we only talk about happiness and perfection mm-hmm. and I have it all. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's all good, you know, right. and. I don't know anybody in my life where it's all good. I just don't know. So <laughs> yeah. if you know, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would love to talk with them and learn. But it's not, there are good days, they are bad days, they are sad days, there are, you know, angry days, there are days in which I just want to cry, and there are days in which I am happy and I'm on the top of my mountain. You know, the difference is, before I would only put values on the happy days, And then when I see someone happy and I'm not happy, I may be like, just like, so especially social media does that to us because we only put the happy pictures in, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and I was just like, oh, that does make one feel lonely, actually, because you're like, I'm not having what this person is having. Right. And I'm like, as a person who is active in social media, they probably people look at me and they say Mm -hmm. this. So. So it's it's sort of what I'm saying is that I changed my relationship. I just like now when I have a sad day, for example, I don't resist it. I just like, OK, I'm having a sad day mm-hmm. and I don't brush it on the side. I actually learn myself to feel it. OK, or less, less let loneliness is a good one. You know, I like let myself feel loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, I'm very lonely. I'm feeling very lonely and I just get even choky talking about mm-hmm. it you know and so i let myself and I was like living my life of how loneliness and as i said understanding the feeling and my muscles and my heart and all of it and then over a week you know it goes i it, it like oh i'm not lonely yeah you know it's like oh this is not so bad actually right. this is actually really good you know i don't mind it it's really good and then Lord and behold, you know you're no longer lonely, and people come in your life, and all of these things. The only difference is that instead of panicking at the, about that negative feeling, I took it on, and taking it on, you actually learn about it, and that learning not only help liberates you from it, from its fear, also, but it also next time I see as someone someone who's lonely, or someone who's insecure, or someone who's doubting themselves, I actually talk about. I also, I, lo- I know that feeling. Yes, I don't. I don't like I understand the meaning of that feeling in my muscles. Mm-hmm. So my discussion with them now is compassionate. Discussion is out of understanding and it's out of like really patient because I know what that feeling is. is it's really awful. You mm-hmm. know, it may be different than theirs and there's meaning in my heart. But I understand it in my heart and that creates a new relationships and new compassion and new diet, compassionate conversations because you're more empathetic and more vulnerable actually. And vulnerability allows people to also show their own vulnerability and it allows people to open up. And that's the secret of getting away from loneliness to start with. Yeah. There you go. That is all, all this work that you've
0: done and all of these things and, and especially the journey in, in compassion, I think is what makes you such, a, not only an amazing writer and speaker, but I have been completely ensconced in, in your TV shows, in the, in the shows, in, in the, the project, the Zainab Salbi project. And, uh, the, in particular, uh, the subject matters are so engaging and and and, um, s- and s- they s- soak you right in but the way that you interview and the way that you speak with people and the way that you draw them out is uh, really extraordinary and and j- just not only inspiring but but that ability to just go right in with them and also to draw them out. Um, are there future plans for the project? Is it, <laughs> What's
1: next? There is. And you know, what I really encourage people is to actually check out the hashtag Me Too Now One uh, series that I did on PBS because it's sort of relevant for all of us as we are talking about these issues. And my proudest work is, a, is an episode where I talk to a woman who accused a man of growing Roping her in in a dancing floor as they were friends, uh-huh. and the man who got accused, and how he dealt with it, and how she dealt with it, and you know, and the reason I say it's my proudest fork, because we are in a time in which we're just shouting angry uh, slogans at each other and painful and all of these things, and here people who had went through their journey. I mean, it was very painful for both of them. And, you know, she she he denied first for 10 years. And then she asked herself, like, what is the I have to liberate myself from my anger and bitterness. And I really need to understand what is restorative justice really means. And then he moved from denial to getting fired and having to ask himself, well, how why did I do this? And really was forced to look into himself at his own insecurity and jealousy of other men and all of that. And so the whole point is that by compassionate understanding, we actually can get, you know, for the first time, true dialogue and true conversation between an issue that is impacting most of us, you know, hashtag me too. And how do we do that? And the only way you can actually hear his story is to I, I don't necessarily agree with him or don't agree with him. Like it's just here the person. The only way a person can tell you their truth is if you actually create a safe place for them to speak without judgment. Sometimes they are not aware of themselves. Sometimes they are aware of themselves, but you still want to get their truth right. so you can actually understand how to deal with it. And same with her. So it's, it's a, it's sort of being. Being able to listen without judgment, but it doesn't mean not agreeing or agreeing. It's just giving the person the space and the respect to speak truthfully about their truth so you can engage in a dialogue from there. But this shouting and blaming, you did it, not me too, all of us who are politics is doing this. It's we're crossing each other and not hearing each other. And we need to evolve that into a listening and hearing of each other right and that show is hashtag me to what's next and it's what, ava- now what oh, sorry, yeah. now what yeah.
0: Yeah. and sorry and it's available online i uh i've seen a few of the episodes online and is it ongoing right it's now? it's not
1: there is a new uh it is to come on oh. in january of next year so oh, follow me on twitter or instagram and you'll see what's coming up next it's a surprise oh
0: great well i can't <laughs> wait well that's right we definitely want to make sure everybody's aware of the uh that you can absolutely follow follow Zainab on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook page as well, yes, yeah. um, and and your website as well to find out all of what's coming up. One more musical snippet from this great Women's World album, and I think we're going to do Mina Neguiha and uh, this is that's the title of the song, and it's by Sabelle, and this is again Women's World and you're listening to KSU Thunder 91.1
4: sozinho Os meninos que passam eu olho sem ter pra quem mostrar Minha linda, minha neguinha histórias que eu conto no vento Eu me sinto aqui pra lá Eu guardo no pulso As histórias da Dona Sinha Mas me falta tu mesmo E teu jeito de me contar Eu guardo no pulso, Eu guardo no pulso Da Dona Sinha Histórias que tu me traz E as flores começam a girar As histórias da Dona Sinha. Mas me falta tu mesmo e teu jeito de me contar. Guardo no bolso, guardo no bolso da Dona Sinha.
0: Histórias que tu me traz. E as
4: flores começa a
0: girar. Okay, welcome back. Well, that artist was Sibelle. Uh, and the song is called Mina M-I-N-H-A and Niguina. N-E-G-U-I-N-H-A. And this is the Apex Hour. You're listening to K S U Thunder 91.1. We're in the studio finishing out our show with Zayn Salbi. I don't want to let you go. I want to keep you for longer. And we have our last <laughs> keep little me, question. Keep me, <laughs> I'd love to take you, show you the fall colors we have here in southern Utah. Next time for sure. I'd like to. We have our last little uh, question that we ask all of our guests, which is, what's turning you on this week? What's turning you on right now? And it can be anything. It's just kind of our last little personal little thing that in maybe... Um You're really excited about right now.
1: I'm excited about going and hearing the performance of uh, an album called uh, "Musician of the" uh, in the name of Desert Rose. It's a South African oh. uh, musician who uh, is are coming to New York, California, and touring the states, and I. I have to say I'm proud of being part of bringing them here but because it, they sing sacred music and from all around the world and I was passing by somewhere and they were singing sacred music from Islam mm. and I just and, you know I grew up a Muslim and I am still a Muslim and I like realized like wow Islam is now days known as being uh, awful oppressive terrorism all of these things and they're that whatever they were singing Yusuf Ganes is the name of the guy it was just so So profoundly beautiful and made me cry because it showed the beauty of an essence that I am familiar with. So I'm really excited. I'm like really into it. And Desert Rose Remembrance is my favorite album by them. Okay, so Desert
0: Rose Remembrance. I'm gonna check that out because I'm not familiar with them. So well, that's the end of our time together. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing this hour with me. What a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you. Yay! And I can't wait to have you back again. And with that, we will say goodbye from the Apex Hour again in KSU Thunder 91.1. And thank you again for being here and have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.